I'm Alex Trepchinski. I'm Angie Check. I'm Barbara Stewart. I'm Ben Joseph Stewart. I'm Bliss Young. I'm Marin Green. I'm Natasha Kingsbury. I am Dr. Jacob Egbert. I'm Sarah Gustafson. I'm Valerie Jacobson. And this is the Holistic OBGYN Podcast. Hey, what's poppin', everybody? This is the Holistic OBGYN Podcast. I am Dr. Nathan Riley. I'm OBGYN. I'm a hospice and palliative care doc, and I am bringing this podcast to the masses in order to provide additional tools to women out there seeking healing, specifically awakened women. This is where they go to my practice, to this podcast, for a more comprehensive approach to women's healthcare. And that means that I put my allopathic toolkit up here on the top shelf, which includes birth control pills and pharmaceuticals and surgeries and all of that stuff, and making room for and adding other tools to my repertoire. A lot of tools that I use in my practice that are better described by experts who specialize in those specific modalities. So this episode with my friend Valerie Jacobson is no exception. She is a Chinese medicine doc who nearly made it through the training and then you know had some COVID vaccine sort of requirements come up when she realized, man, I don't need the paper on the wall. I have the skills. I've got the feng shui, the astrology, the herbalism, the acupuncture. I've got all of that background and um, I'm going to bring it to the world and start working with people. And so she is, um, she's young, she's fresh, she's energetic, and she brings a certain pizzazz to the landscape of women's healthcare that is, I think, unrecognized. You know, I mean, we have to consider Chinese medicine is roughly 6,000 years old. And uh, when you hear traditional Chinese medicine, that's actually like a contemporary Western take on Chinese medicine. Valerie has a great appreciation for the historical practice of Chinese medicine, which really comes back to a practice of balance, right? Allopathic medicine is only a couple centuries old, really, in the way that it's practiced. We can draw a lot of great wisdom from the practice of Chinese medicine, let alone the practice of Ayurvedic medicine, which gets into the chakras and tantra and yoga. That's like 16,000 years old, right? So what I'm trying to illustrate for you is that if we can acknowledge that there's perhaps more to healing than what we've been told within the conventional medical model, then we're all going to be better off. And the women in our lives are going to be better off. And if we can help women heal, we can help the world heal. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Valerie. As always, it's important that I remind you that this is not a medical podcast. This is not a replacement for the advice given to you by your doctors. If you are seeing a doctor, just take this as information, education, and you can weave that into the information your doctor is given. You can ask questions of your doctor. Um, unfortunately, many conventional Western medical doctors, the DOs and MDs, do not practice in such a way that honors some of these older traditions. But I'm telling you that this is where it's at. This is where we should be turning uh, to these older traditions for the rebalancing and helping us return to a state of homeostasis with regards to our patients, and our environment. So without further ado, I'm going to whip up some Organifi green juice here, and I'm going to sit back and listen with you into my conversation with Valerie Jakobsen. Hello, Valerie. Welcome back to my show. Hello, Nathan, my dear friend. 
if people listening didn't hear Valerie's earlier episode, I think it was, I want to say it was like episode eight or nine. It was really early on. And I asked you the three questions, the, the, the three things you want the world to know about caring for women. And at like minute 30, it was like, gosh, we haven't even gotten into you and what you do. And as you know, my audience is really looking for alternative ways to manage women's health issues apart from just birth control and surgery, which is really what OBGYNs do. It's not to say that those things are bad or unnecessary. It's just that they are overutilized within the conventional system. And there's all these other healing paradigms, including traditional Chinese medicine, which you are an expert in. Um, although I'm sure that you, like me, you have a hard time with the word expert because we're constantly learning something new and how to change your practice. But So that's what we're going to talk about today. Sounds lovely. And thank you for the introduction. Of course, there's always something if you're in the the healer's paradigm, right? And you're in a field that constantly unfolds, there's like this constant blossoming of more layers to this like flower of knowledge. And I think the best sort of, um, for me, the thing that draws me to like a wise leader such as yourself is that you have this openness and this thirst for unpeeling more layers. So there's never like this finished point, as long as we're on this physical earth. Mm. It's this like kind of beautiful collaboration with all these different paradigms that can work together really beautifully, just like Mother Earth has all of her yeah. creatures that are, you know, designed to work in harmony with each other ultimately. Yeah. And so that's my my biggest inspiration is, you know, of course, my my training was in Chinese medicine for the most part. And I went to a school that has sort of a, a strong Western component to the training as well. Uh, so that scope is sort of like acupuncture, herb pharmacopoeia, Chinese diagnosis, and these sort of traditional holistic ways of looking at the body. But what I find, and I'm sure you find this too, is like the further you go down this path, the more you see all these beautiful branches of other holistic medicines that maybe weren't in your like field of study in terms of college or university or clinical rounds, but you're just drawn to them like a moth to a flame. Yeah. And, and there's this synergy that happens. And I feel that with so many different, and of course you can always take bits and pieces that you resonate with um, and that add value to your life. And that's my hope for all the women that I work with is not that there's this one right answer for their health and I have the keys um, or or someone else has all the keys. It's really more like, what are some helpful frameworks that allow us to look at our body and the landscape of our body in a way that's helpful to our vitality right. um, rather than disempowering or um, rather than fracturing the spirit from the body and these these sum of parts and we've talked about that before like this machine mentality right i think that's very unhelpful uh and when we have these tools whether it's chinese medicine or um aspects of german new medicine or even aspects of western medicine you know that that kind of honor the holistic multi-dimensional aspect and and nature really of our bodies that's right then we can begin to be the authority in our own healing journey. Um, I think ultimately that's the best sort of uh, role of a physician mm -hmm. is that you, you encourage, I mean, 
doctor really means educator ultimately or teacher. So it, the idea is really like you, you encourage somebody to access their own healing potential. Right. And that's something I think everyone has the ability to do if they would like to use their free will in that way. Right. Um, right. And that's another topic because that that's also a choice that everyone has to make. Right. Like some people find that it's easier to use their free will to outsource their power. Right. Or or to be like, no, just you do the work. I I'm not my own healer. Like, I just want you to save me, you know, and that's somebody some people's journeys. But I think for you and me, Nathan, we we're interested in working with people who are ready to step into that power seat in their lives. So can be a part of that journey. Yeah, you've um, you, you really kind of touched on the sort of fundamental philosophy of Chinese medicine, which is there might be some need to add some external inputs into this system, but the goal is not to become reliant on the external inputs. The goal is to get the being, this this conscious human being who does have physical tissues and cells and mitochondria and everything. The really the goal is to get that person to reharmonize with their environment. And that can't be done solely through external you know, inputs. So for example, you add a pill to somebody who has high blood pressure. Well, why do they have high blood pressure? Why? You know, like what's going on that is making their blood vessels constrict? I would even challenge people who, who are so, they've just become so indoctrinated with high blood pressure management. Is it possible that that person's blood vessels have to be tighter, that they have to have higher pressure in the system in order to get blood to their vital organs. In other words, is the high blood pressure actually a compensatory mechanism for a weak heart? And that actually is true, right? You need to make the pipes a little bit more narrow to get blood to all those little spaces out there. And so what we say is like, oh, the, the blood vessels are too, are too constricted. You've got high blood pressure, you're going to have a stroke, and we give medicines, it drops the pressure, and people don't generally get better. So what then you need to ask is, well, why is the heart not functioning at maximum capacity? Are they, you know, nourishing themselves with the right foods, with the right herbs? Are they out of balance from a nervous system standpoint? And Chinese medicine starts with that question, what is out of balance? And perhaps, yes, you still need to add something external, but you don't become reliant on that. That is just a tool to facilitate your body healing itself and getting back to homeostasis. Am I summarizing that pretty correctly? Oh, yes. That's such a great summary. And I love what you said about like, so there's this relationship with these external tools that we can use to bring our body back into harmony. Optimally, ideally, we're using tools that reach the root of the issue and correct it. Um, and the problem with a lot of these certain prescriptions that are artificial, it, it's a band-aid. It doesn't get to the root. Um, it doesn't ask, well, why is the body modifying itself in this way? Could it be a protective mechanism? And most often, the sort of mindset in the Western world is like, well, it's just dysfunctional. You know, we just have to correct it. Like it's, you know, there's not really this, um, this asking of, well, what if the body is actually trying to do something helpful here? And um, if we listen very closely, maybe then that will lead us to the root of of what the modification or what we're considering dysfunction is actually there for. So like, for example, in, in Chinese medicine, we have this idea of like a, um, a latent pathogen. So if there is something going on, let's say there's some inflammation. And instead of storing that in the heart, 
or the vital organs, the body decides to push it to the least important, sort of like least vital areas, which could manifest as like arthritis in the extremities, right? And so when we reframe that modification as, okay, well, actually, this might be the body's attempt at at putting it somewhere further away until we have enough, I guess, like chi or vital energy or resources to deal with clearing out that late pathogen. And the pathogen can be, you know, there's all these different ways of classifying pathogens in Chinese medicine, but it it can have an emotional energetic root. Oh, yeah. That's like another thing that I think really completes the system is, you know, we're, we're not just looking at like, oh, did you get an infection, you know, like on a physical level? And even if there is an infection, could it be that that tissue was weakened because of um, a psycho-emotional component or the storage of trauma? So those are all really valid questions that I think any physician would probably benefit from asking. But it is a, a foundational component of, of Chinese medicine is that we are looking at the, the body as a microcosm of the whole, a microcosm of the earth and its systems, which are intelligently designed, and also of the cosmos. Yeah. And that put this advanced civilization ahead in so many ways, because what we're really doing is we're accessing the wisdom that isn't like ours to claim and like, oh, we are humans and we figured this out. It's it's really almost like the other way around, we're channeling something that's far greater than us as individuals. And we're applying it because we know that we're cut from the same fabric. I always say that, uh, oh, man, I wish I would have been a midwife. That's like my deepest, darkest secret. And I say that tongue in cheek, because I love midwives. (laughs) The more that I get to know you, the more I think, I wish I would have been a Chinese medicine doctor, because that's exactly how I view (laughs) everything. Well, you know, what I think is beautiful, Nathan, though, is like, you know, of course, I have those thoughts about other other forms of medicine as well. And it's like part, I think, of our just continuous learning process. We want like all these. But the, the beautiful thing is that it's not just Chinese medicine that has this view. It's all these other ancient wisdom traditions across the world. So, it, I mean, I that was my field of study, so I can comment on it. But it's like, I, I feel that the, the ancient, wise, evolved civilizations all had this wisdom. And they just applied it in their the ways that worked for that particular mm. civilization at that time. You know, of course, like what you do, I think is is so special because you're bringing all of these medicines into a space where we can we can share and examine and make it into this like kind of complete soup of of medical options and options for healing, like the mind, body, spirit. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, you're a great connector for that. Yeah, I think I'm I'm starting to think uh, you're making my ego get really big and now I'm thinking like, <laughs> oh man, am I uh maybe we could come up with a new term for people like us, like me and you. We are like philosophical healing alchemists because we're like oh, I love we're that. alchemizing <laughs> the philosophies of various things and we're you know not not we're not going to say we are the best at any of them. We're like the jack of all trades, master of none. But I will tell you my I love it. my my patients, the people that I care for in my personal life my professional clients, et cetera, they're all doing well. And part of it is that somebody has just been willing to say, I don't know. And, and everything that you're saying, and a lot of what I preach, which doesn't make me a lot of friends, is that, hey, to have humility, 
is actually what makes you a healer. Because if you have any person walk into your office and you put them into a box, you've already lost the battle, right? Like maybe you Absolutely. get, you get, you get lucky once in a while and you find somebody who's, who's a def- who has a deficiency. Yeah. Right. They fit and they have a deficiency in aspirin. You start them on aspirin and <laughs> pow, you've made them better. You know, I, obviously nobody is deficient in that herb or that meditation or that movement pattern. It's, it's more a matter of like, what does the body need to reharmonize with its surroundings? This is actually also a concept that I took from anthroposophic medicine, which it's another thing. It's like, man, I wish I just would have been an anthroposophic doc. (laughs) (laughs) It's so funny. Well, I think that's like the whole beautiful thing is that like, we, we keep having these inspirations and I felt the same way about anthroposophy. Like I couldn't get enough and I still feel that way, but of course there's seasons for like interests, you know? Um, and there was a time where I was staying with some people who were both Waldorf uh, school teachers, yeah, art teachers, I think, for like Steiner High School. And they were these amazing people, but they had this like really vast library of Dennis Klocek lectures. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know him well. And, a, and it was like, oh, it just, it was one of those like fireworks moments where, you know, I did think like, oh, should I be studying that instead? Of, you, know, like, <laughs> you know, it happens all the time. But of course, I just think that's the beautiful thing about life is you just have these uh, sort of like divine inspirations and then you can alchemize them, like you said, into, you know, something that you might be able to offer that to someone someday where instead of like putting them in a box, you intuitively sort of feel like, okay, actually what, what might be helpful is this philosophy that I learned from Rudolf Steiner yeah, or yeah. or Chinese medicine or from Nathan yeah. you know and in my opinion people are vibrationally for lack of a better word attracted to those people who carry that wisdom i heard something the other day about how like your your gifts or your wisdom is as much yours as the postman owns the the parcels that he's distributing mm. you know so it's it's like all of your sacred gifts of course, like you can be proud of them and honor them and nurture them like a garden. But when it comes down to it, like they are, they're really there to be shared and delivered to those who in resonance, like come into your field ready to sort of exchange that energy. Yeah. I think I may have shared this, this story. I'm, so I'll make it brief. I'm sure I, I've talked about it before in, in other podcast episodes, but one example of, of how kind of just acknowledging that maybe you don't know right away what's going to happen opens up the possibility for spirit to come right through you and to just deliver exactly what it is that you need in that moment. This happens in birth all the time, but I actually had an experience recently with a woman who's around the sort of menopausal age, definitely perimenopausal, meaning she's having like the vasomotor symptoms and hot flashes and this and that. And she came over and um, we we were blowing some bags of tobacco and she just wanted to say hi and just kind of check in. She's a friend of mine's mom. And and I had said, um, you know, um, do you want a little bit of this tobacco? And she said, no, 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 I, 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 don't, I don't want that. And I said, well, how about this other thing? And somebody had given me this little bottle of a nasal spray that contains hot, it's basically, they say Amazonian, special Amazonian blend, but it was really hoppy. It was a derivative mm-hmm. of tobacco and, or an extraction from tobacco and super, super potent. That was the main ingredient. And then there's some other herbs and then there's oxytocin as well. So somebody gave this to me. It's from a company called Mitozen Scientific. If anybody's interested in buying this, you can go to their website and I have a discount code. It's beloved. But um, it's their Mitozen Meditation Mist EO. Contains oxytocin. She took a a snort of this in in each nostril. And in about five minutes, she was like, 
I'm starting to feel like a little weird. She hadn't eaten anything that day. And she tried to get up and like spilled her coffee and like almost fell over. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay. So I, I like got some cushions from the couch outside and like laid her down and her daughter was there. We put a piece of uh, her own black tourmaline. She had it in her pocket on her right below her navel. Mm-hmm. And um, her daughter kind of just held sort of like resonant attention, as Stella Eisenstein would say, over the piece of black tourmaline right over her uh, sort of like super pubic area, right above the pubic bone. And then I was at her head just ha- with my hands on her head. And I, and I kind of just was sitting there and blowing smoke over her. And she was having a full-blown psychedelic experience. We were in the sun. We set up a, um, a little speaker, a bow speaker that was playing some um, like 528 hertz sound bowl frequency. And she was going, she was off somewhere and it was, it was magical. And then at the very end of it, was like an hour, you're just holding space for her. And I just was kind of feeling what she needed. And then she would say, I started noticing her legs shaking. There was like trauma releasing second chakra, first mm-hmm. chakra trauma releasing through her legs, like a true physical response. And then she sat up and she looked in my eyes and she was like, I am seeing Christ. Now she was not saying Nathan is Jesus or whatever, she was saying like she was experiencing Christ consciousness in that moment. And then she started bawling, like full-blown tears. And she said, I've never, I've never felt this good in my entire life. Then <laughs> there's more. Then we all started just howling at the sky, like making random animal noises. It was this total release for the whole group. And she left and she has told me time and time again since that that moment. Like, thank you for just being there with me. Like her body needed to process something. Something was emerging and needed to express itself. And she just needed somebody to hold space without her having to do anything. And that is not something I learned in medical school. None of that I learned in medical school, especially holding space. Because if you don't have the answer or the mechanism as to why something's happening, then you fail the test. And so you'd never want to admit you don't know. And so I kind of wanted to present that and throw the ball back to you like, what do you think about that? She also, by the way, described that like an angel, the biggest angel she had ever seen came over top of us with these giant stretched out wings, the most beautiful angel she's ever seen. And it was, it was a deeply, profoundly healing experience for this woman. And I would say that she had a very, she had some trauma pent up over the last two years. It was released physically, emotionally, spiritually. She had a, a total opening up of her lower chakras below the heart we're talking. Um, but I'm curious from your standpoint, like how does that experience settle within you? Wow. It's such a beautiful story. Thank you for sharing. Well, it, it actually kind of makes me recall some of my similar experiences. So when I was going through my educational experience at my Chinese medicine school, there was an energy healer that lived like right across from the school. Like you could see, you know, we, we would park on the streets and, and often I would park like in front of her place without knowing that it was her place. And I ended up seeing her for, you know, kind of one of my early energy medicine experiences, maybe my second or third experience with energy medicine. And she's actually the the woman I learned Reiki um, from, but so she's, she's there facilitating different, different kinds of like energy healing arts including sound bowls and, and Reiki and intuitive sort of medicine. And, and for me, I believe in like spirit guides. I believe in spiritual realm. I believe that we all have um, ancestors and divine beings that are supportive to us as we journey through this physical dimension. 
one of the times that I was seeing this energy worker, her name was Cinnamon, she said, you know, I was on the table ready to receive energy work. And, and what came back was your guides have been waiting for this moment so that they could work on you. She basically, and I felt all of these things happening in my body. And she was like, Val, like I just stood back, you know, like I, I, that wasn't me. That was something else. And, um, I couldn't even really see you. Like you were so surrounded by your guides. And so what I got from that is, is sometimes wherever we're at in our spiritual journey, like sometimes we just need to be in a, in an environment that's cohesive for this thing to come through. That's been wanting to come through for so long, but your body, mind, spirit, um, or guides or whatever has been waiting for the correct alignment um, in terms of like, you know, who you're around, the environment, your state of relaxation, like your ability to receive at that moment. And then this beautiful healing can occur. And um, of course, this isn't like this new idea that you and me are coming up with it's this is something that the wisdom traditions have been speaking about for millennia but it's really beautiful to kind of experience it here in this modern 3d world and and to us it's very miraculous but my feeling is that um it's how we're designed and it's a matter of being in a position where you know not only are you aligned for that experience, but you're also in a physical environment that can hold the potency of that experience. Because I, th- I think that's a, a big component and that's something we might be able to weave feng shui into a little bit. But the idea that a sacred space, and in your case, it was, was it your yard or like? Yeah, it was right on the back patio. Right? It was on the back patio. So in like, in your case, the back patio may have been like, conducive to hold the magnitude of that experience right whereas like potent potentially you know we have these other areas in our life that that may it, it may not have been the right environment to to hold that and then of course you have the more importantly you have the beings that are ready to hold that kind of transformation and that's like you and you know some of her guides seem to have come in and so i just think it's this alignment that just beautifully happens sometimes especially if we're able to surrender and um, let things come through us and trust, because that's really when the magic happens. It's sort of like the Michael Singer book, The Surrender Experiment. Like once you are really able to s- commit to that level of trust um, with the divine, then these things can happen and, and be facilitated. And what a miracle to be a part of that. So yeah, I really, I really like that story. <laughs> Beautiful. Valerie, we're going to take a very, very quick break because I need to get batteries for my podcast thingy and uh, plug in my laptop because it's (laughs) going to die. So I'll be right back, okay? Okay. Hey, everybody. Quick break here. I got to tell you about Waveblock. They are one of our long-running sponsors of the show. They make these little stickers. If you're wearing earbuds right now and you aren't blocking some of that low-dose radiation from the powerful modems that are in these devices... You gotta go to waveblock.com, get a pair of their stickers. They go right on the earbuds. If you've got your cell phone in your pocket, it's emitting EMF. It's got four powerful modems in the modern iPhone. And this is way more powerful than all the stuff that we used to carry with us, right? 
And um, I'm reading this book called The Invisible Rainbow, which talks about the role of electricity in disease and as sort of a pathologic environmental toxin in and of itself. This gets into the conversation around EMF and electricity and and all of these modems all over our houses and in our pockets and in our earbuds. So trust me on this. This is something that we need to all be considering. EMF is like the seventh principle of maintaining optimal health. So go to waveblock.com, use code BELOVED, B-E-L-O-V-E-D. You'll save 25, a whopping 25% on all of their products. Please support our sponsors so they can support our show. I wouldn't be recommending this product, guys, if I didn't try it myself and if I wasn't using it every single day. I'm using it right now. It's on the back of my phone. So go to waveblock.com, code BELOVED, B-E-L-O-V-E-D. We'll get you 25% off all of their EMF blocking technologies. Let's get back now to my conversation with Valerie Jacobson. So Valerie, based on everything you've already said, I wanted to run my own sort of something that came up into my life a couple weeks ago. As you know, we had a baby um, about four weeks ago and we were hosting a whole bunch of family and I wasn't getting a lot of sleep because I was trying so hard to keep the business running and just working myself to death. And I came down with shingles. What are your thoughts about shingles? What oh. was what is happening with shingles? First of all, I'm sorry that happened. Because <laughs> it's I, know, miserable. I, I, I know shingles can be really brutal. So yeah, in terms of Chinese medicine, we actually I've actually interned in, in a case where we treated shingles, um, which was really interesting because there's not a whole lot that tends to provide relief for people. So I hear I've never had shingles, but the idea is that you like. I think there's a technique. It's almost, I hope I'm getting this right, but like surrounding the dragon. So it's like you, you're surrounding the, the patch of shingles with needles. You're not um, irritating the patch itself, but you're going around it to sort of release the heat. So the idea is that there's like, um, you know, pretty significant outburst of heat. And I yeah. believe it's related to the liver um, system. And of course, like Chinese medicine has, these kind of vast systems that are related to the organs and the meridians. And we sort of take that as an additional lens to interpret the body. So liver tends to have a lot to do with stress. There's, you know, the, the traditional emotion associated with the liver is anger or irritability, but it can also be stress. You know, a lot of the time I feel when there's an outburst of shingles, there's usually a, and I, I say this, I mean, of course, I think there's an emotional component to almost every physical disease, but that is one of the kind of pathologies that even those who don't have that mindset tend to relate shingles to severe stress. And there's a an outburst that, that kind of like needs to come out. Um, and that's the body's way of sort of like releasing it. But then there's the idea of, you know, if it only happens if you've had chicken pox, right? Yeah. I don't think that we can say 100%, but that is at least the leading, you know. The the idea, I guess. And and I can't comment too much on that either, but um that's what I've heard. So so under that realm we could maybe classify it as um in part like a latent pathogen that has gone dormant and then decides to express itself at the appropriate time, which it of course when these things happen, we are like 
that's not the appropriate time. Like, I don't have, you know, I don't have time to deal with. What the hell, spirit? What are you right doing now? to me? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And of course, there's like some other great wisdom that's like, oh, it is. It is the appropriate time. Well, it, it's so, like um, key, key to what you just said is, I don't have time to relax. Like, well, do you have time to have right. shingles? No. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. which is it going to be? <laughs> right. So, um, so that's that's interesting, and I hope it's feeling better. How do you? It was it on like a. Yeah, it was this dermatome right on my right side rib cage, all the way around from the flank to the front. And it it wasn't severe, but. Yeah, that's right, like wrapping around where the liver channel runs as well. So um, there's a point at the end of the, you know, if you can feel where your ribs are ending, um, that's a very popular point for liver cheese stagnation. And most often people get the presentation of shingles right along the liver channel. So again, it's most likely like a. Again, we relate liver cheese stagnation to stress um, and this sort of like fast paced go, go, go. So it's very common to, you know, get it at like the most inconvenient time. A lot of people get it right when they're doing like a big business merger <laughs> and or, you know, like something like major is happening and, and it's like, oh, it's, it's coming out. But another thing that I always found interesting was that one of the mo- like modalities that relieves the symptoms of shingles is moxibustion. Um, which is when you light mugwort on fire. Is and, it mugwort? I didn't know that it was mugwort. Yeah. That's interesting. Mugwort, yeah, I yeah is is the pinion for it or Chinese classification of that. So yeah, you're lighting it, it's it's a processed mugwort. So of course we have like the mugwort that grows wild, and um, ideally you harvest that. I believe it's the eighth day of the lunar calendar. I'm not totally sure, but you harvest it in a intentional time with the moon and then you process it and it takes quite a quite a while to process it um you're it's sort of a process of like grinding it up and it turns into this beautiful sort of cottony pillowy substance and the the highest quality moxa has been like sort of aged and let to sit in the sun and it's this like it's so soft you know it can't you can't believe that it started as this sort of sage-like plant and then now it's this soft cottony substance. But what you what you can do with that is you um, you make that into little kind of looks like grains of rice, but it's this cottony substance, and it's just it's just mugwort. But it's you know it's gone through this sort of mechanical like it's a physical grinding process, and and you set it on the skin and you light those on fire with a stick of incense. It doesn't you know of course it's not like severe painful fire but it's a little bit warm (laughs) and (laughs) and um and that is it of course used in conjunction with you know traditional chinese medicine techniques and it it predates acupuncture actually so wow the use yeah yeah so the use of the meridians like you know even the points are are fairly recent compared to other aspects of chinese medicine so uh the original like sort of use of manipulating the energy through the meridians is um, using moxibustion. So it's, uh, I always thought that was interesting because of such a fiery pathology like shingles, you would think that adding something that is quite literally like fire wouldn't be therapeutic, but it it actually very much um, helps. And I've heard that it can help relieve symptoms even more than acupuncture. So there is something, you know, there is something to that. And I think there's so much value uh, that's sort of like underrated 
acupuncture is taken like center stage and then moxibustion is almost like an adjunct. Um, but we forget that that is um, so much of the roots of the whole system is, is moxibustion. So those are my very brief thoughts on shingles. <laughs> but, I, <laughs> but I hope that I hope that you're finding some relief now as things kind yeah. of simmer a little bit. It's gotten better. Shingle scars though. So every time I look in the mirror, I have these like little dots, just like with chicken pox. Like some people still have little spots on their face here and there. And um, it doesn't itch. I don't have any like post-herpetic neuralgia or anything. As far as I can tell, I got a massage the other day and I had no pain. So, you know, it's, it's fine. But it was, it was interesting that it was like under this incredible, a time of incredible duress where I was still sleeping as well as I could, but I guess I wasn't getting enough and the business and the baby and, you know, managing, you know, like my wife and I, there's a lot of tension because there's this new baby in the house and the toddlers are aggressing. It's just, it, it emerges. And I wonder if the emergence, I wonder if the, the experience of the heat is actually a consequence of some underlying issue that is trying, that, that causes the heat in order to help yeah. rectify itself. And that's why doing the moxibustion actually is adding heat to a system that needs heat. Is that, is that possible? I, I wonder that I'm sure there's people that can have their explanation that you and I would both go, Oh, wow. You oh, know? Of course. <laughs> but, but from, from my, um, from my understanding, like, you know, there is something very valid about the idea of like, okay, why is the body producing this fire? You know, and, and shingles, I mean, something, a greater degree of heat and of course, like we have all these pathogens in Chinese medicine that are related to temperature, um, but that is definitely considered fire. You know, what fuels fire? I mean, there's the wood component that that fuels the fire, but then also wood is related to the liver. So it's like, is there so much wood that there's like a burst of fire because there's so much fuel for it? And is there so much liver activity that it's creating this outburst of fire, like that's one interpretation. But the beauty of Chinese medicine is you could have like all these, you know, scholars or Chinese medicine doctors, and, and they could maybe have their interpretation based on your five elements and your personal story as well. So, um, but that is one component that, you know, I, I do wonder. Yeah, I mean, and, and at the same time, moxa doesn't have to necessarily equate to fire um, therapeutically. You know, moxa is really like highly stimulating to the circulatory system and, um, you know, the immune system. And there's there's other lenses to yeah, interpret right. it other than just heat. But um, but yeah, that's just something that I always thought, huh, I wouldn't I wouldn't think to use something warm on a fiery. Yeah, um, sure, sure. You know, but but it, it's also helpful for things like acne. And that's what we most often would consider damp heat, although there's other presentations. And moxibustion can be really helpful there. So yeah, it's all kinds of different uses. Well, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about something specific in women's health. Not every woman is going to go through shingles, but let's talk about something that's super common, which I'm not even going to talk about as a problem. Let's just talk about a woman's cycle and how... Yes how energetically things change with the seasons in very much the same way that for a woman, things change on a almost monthly cyclical basis. And what your, how, how do you support women based on the Chinese medical, I don't want to say interpretation, but the Chinese medical paradigm of the cycles and the seasons? I love this. So, so many things in the body are related to the seasons. And of course, that kind of goes back to this Taoist idea that we are so in 
intrinsically connected to this mother nature, sort of the cycles of life, of course. There's the yin and the yang, and there's the seasons. Um, and so most often you would relate the menstruation phase to winter, the post-menstrual phase, the follicular phase to spring. Ovulation would be summer. And the luteal phase or like the premenstrual phase would be um, autumn. So so that's one way to sort of break up the cycle. And every woman, there's something so kind of special about the fact that women go through all four seasons every lunar cycle. It's not just, you know, and I, I think there's something to that that makes us a bit more in tune with nature. Right. Because, yeah, everything's happening every Every month or like more correctly, every lunar cycle, if you're really sort of in tune with nature, menstruation tends up, tends to link up with the new moon Um, and some women, the full moon. But um, if we're classifying it with sort of the archetypes, menstruation would be related to the new moon and ovulation would be the full moon. Um, So that's like the the winter and the summer, um, the yin and the yang and The thing that I find so kind of like empowering about this way of viewing the cycle is that women can sort of like optimize their, their lives and their habits based on where they are in their personal cycle, knowing how the body is affected by these different phases. So we could, we could go really in depth, which I would, I actually plan to do it like in sort of like a course format, but um, to keep it simpler, like you know, we really need to nourish our bodies in the winter time, for example, like, it's the time that we need to be yin, slower, warmer. Um, And same goes for the winter time of the cycle, which is the menstruation. So usually like, uh, slowing down your work schedule, prioritizing rest, um, nourishing stews, keeping things warm, because Exposure to cold can really aggravate menstrual cramps. So even women who might be sitting on like a cold bus stop or standing on a cold floor, like that can all affect the the flow of the menstrual cycle. So then moving on to like spring, that's a good time for like kind of planting new seeds in your life, trying new skills and like taking action and nourishing the liver and sort of like replenishing what you might have lost in the in the menstrual phase. And then like following that ovulation is like the peak, peak yang time of the cycle for most women. So if they're going to do some kind of high intensity workout, it's smart to do it then. But it's, it's not ideal for most women to do high intensity workouts on their period, or even in the week thereafter, um, because that's a time for the body to nourish. And what I see with a lot of women, they're under this impression that like, as long as they push through, Um, It's like this very like masculine kind of young societal um, idea of like, oh, like I don't need to slow down for my period, you know, like that's why we have mitol or, you know, whatever. Or Um, birth control pills. You don't even have to have a, you don't even have to cycle. Just shut it down. Right. Right. And so the whole idea though, is that if you really want to live in harmony with your own body, it's advantageous to to rest and do something more like yin yoga or just meditation or stretching during menstruation and the week after as you re-nourish the blood that you've lost. And um, I think it's worth mentioning that in, in the classics, they don't consider menstrual blood the same as 
blood in other parts of our body. So the word for that is actually Tiangue, which means heavenly water. Yeah, it's so beautiful. So beautiful. So such a stark contrast to the sort of societal shame that we have with menstrual blood. Like it's um, dirty if, in some way and yeah, just right. an inconvenient, dirty visitor. Yeah. It's like, it's such a beautiful thing. And, and heavenly water was considered to be sort of like a, a result of the, the kidneys, the Dantian, this um, sort of powerhouse alchemy of, of our chi and our jing and all these beautiful things that allow us to create. So that's the other thing. I mean, you can have a whole creative process based on the menstrual cycle that's really supportive because, you know, there's a time for reflection during menstruation. There's a time for planting seeds and gently re-nourishing after menstruation. There's a time for taking action and really going for it, which is ovulation. And that's like the creative peak. And of course, no coincidence that that's when we would conceive and create actual life. Uh, but for those who aren't trying to conceive, it's still a very fertile time for creativity. Um, and then, of course, like you have the autumn phase, the premenstrual phase, most women who have premenstrual PMS, <laughs> premenstrual syndrome or symptoms or things of that nature, we would relate that to the stuckness of the liver chi. So the idea too is that, and I think we can relate to this to the chakras a little bit as well, but the idea is that if you haven't taken advantage of your um, ovulatory creation time, and if there was a stuckness there where you weren't really willing to express your creativity, your authentic, uh, authentic sort of creative gift, then there's a stagnation of that energy um, premenstrually, a stagnation of wow. the energy. I just, I just made a connection yeah. it, within mm-hmm. the tantric philosophy. The second chakra or also corresponds with reproductive health, including the uterus and menstruation. And it's also the center the, the, the chakra that will become sluggish if you're not expressing yourself creatively. So there is yeah, like it's, these... It's so beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and it's funny because I remember when I was studying Chinese medicine, like I always wanted to make these connections with Ayurveda and the chakras. And, and I remember a professor being like, don't do that, Val. It's a separate box. It's a separate toolbox. Like, you know, but I think there really is something to be said about, you know, just your own relationship to these different perspectives because sure. a lot of the time it does align. And so that, especially with the cycle, I think bringing the chakras into it really completes the the picture. Yeah. But um, I thought, I always thought that was really beautiful because, you know, not only are you syncing up with the lunar phase because your menstruation will, I mean, if you're hormone free and you're paying attention to um, other hormone disruptors like artificial light, sleep schedules, things of that nature, you will, you will sync up to the lunar phase, your menstruation will sync up. What a powerful tool creatively. Um, It's so much more vast than just conception or prevention of pregnancy. It's really a way to optimize your work schedule, sort of like your, your sacred dreams, and your spiritual practice and all kinds of other things. Just your relationship with yourself as a woman. I think it's it's so valuable. So there's so much that Chinese medicine has to offer. But of course, I, I like to draw in all these other parallels as well. We can sort of layer it to make this big, um, rich chart. But but yeah, for the most part, um, the idea is that to to harmonize and have a healthy body, the menstruation and the, the entire menstrual cycle must be regulated. 
And if it is irregular, if there are menstrual symptoms that are pathological, then that should be corrected because even if there are no other symptoms at the time, if that continues to occur, there will be other disharmonies down the road. And I think that happens a lot with um, with young people who are just put on a birth control pill right, because right. of their painful periods. And there's even a saying, and I'm not going to get this exactly precise. <laughs> there is there is something about um, treating young women around their their menarche and um, just sort of treating them as a teenager, preventing um, the need to treat them as a as an adult. And, and actually also caring for, yeah, and caring for a woman postpartum as well um, as an idea of, of that prevents things that might come up in the um, sort of like crone archetype phase, um, like postmenopausal phase. So um, there's a huge opportunity there because after childbirth, you know, the woman is so open, the uterus is so open, it has so much to do with these other systems in the body. And um, they actually relate that to osteoporosis. If the woman in postpartum wasn't given adequate rest and um, if her womb wasn't given adequate warmth and protection, then that can manifest as osteoporosis after menopause. So there's, there's so many ways to connect it, but I just think, yeah, menstruation is one of the opportunities to connect with that. I want to, I want to go back to something you said real quick. You said, um, that when we have menstrual irregularities, it is important to treat those irregularities. And then you contrasted that with the approach of, the, of a birth control pill. I want to clarify, and I, because I think I know, I th- if I'm reading between the lines, what you're saying is we need, to find, we need to find the dysfunction that is leading to the menstrual irregularities and help to fix that energetically or otherwise, as opposed to just squashing the bleeding without addressing the fact that there is some imbalance here that's leading to this irregularity. Is that, is that fair to say? Yes, that's exactly right. And, um, I want to make it clear. Like I, my main feeling is that every woman has, um, the autonomy and full authority to just choose whatever she wants. And if that's birth control pills or, or anything in that vein, um, I think that's perfectly all right. But the problem is if, if someone's coming to you with menstrual pain, and the only solution you provide is birth control pills and just shutting off ovulation. That's really not getting to the root. And, and that happens with so many women. And when they finally get off of the birth control pills, the root cause tends to still be there. And um, usually in a more aggressive form because it's been ignored for all of those years. So that's just something that I think is, is so valuable to consider when somebody's having you know, problems in that area. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and sometimes addressing the root of the problem can be as simple as keeping the body warm around menstruation. It can be complex as well. And most of the time we'd use herbal formulas to correct more complex imbalances, but sometimes it can be simple and gentle. So I think that's that's also, you know, so valuable because it again, it's a it's kind of signature of the rest of the body. Let's talk a little bit. This is something you and I talked briefly about when we did our first interview. Let's talk a little bit about tobacco because at the at the root of all of these some a lot of these modalities that you and I turn to in our own healing practices there are plants, right? And I'm not talking about forks over knives. I'm talking about if we go into nature and we start asking 
the right questions, we're going to have some pretty profound answers come to us. And one way to do that, you told me, was to actually offer tobacco to the plants. So not to be redundant, but would you mind telling me again briefly what that exercise was like? Because I, I have told a hundred people that, including my mom, who's concerned <laughs> that I'm vaporizing tobacco. And I'm like, mom, this is not grandpa's tobacco. This is this is some all natural goodness from a place where they are not adding all those weird chemicals and sugar and tar and other toxic crap and then rolling it into a little paper cigarette. This is a very, very different <laughs> practice. And you heard about it and you were like, oh my God, let me tell you all about tobacco. So maybe the elevator speech, tell, tell me a little bit about the practice, what you described as a tobacco related practice in, in communing with plants. I love this. So um, tobacco is one of my favorite subjects because I, I really like looking at things that are considered like unhealthy and unpacking, <laughs> like, you know, like, oh, let's unpack that a little bit. Like, is it potentially, is it unhealthy because of the way it's used and the yeah. things that it's mixed with? Um, or did the earth just grow this unhealthy thing, you know? And, and so my feeling is that it's, there's so much nuance always available um, to these kinds of substances. And so we're lacking so nuance in our world. We really are. <laughs> we, yes. We are really lacking nuance. And, and I think we can all give ourselves a little bit of grace too. And that comes with curiosity because so many of us are so punishing where it's like, oh, I just have this vice and it's just because I don't have willpower, you know, but it's actually like, let's look a little bit closer. Maybe there's some medicine there that you're not getting in other areas of your life. Yeah. You know? And I, I think that's true with all things that people consider to be a vice. Yeah, sure. um, but I, I don't think tobacco must always be considered a vice. Um, so, so my experience with tobacco in part has been offering it to plants um, when I was studying herb pharmacopoeia. And of course that's a lifelong study. Um, but when I was starting out, we had plant journeys um, in Topanga in these beautiful mountains and they weren't psychedelic. There was no like kind of mind altering stuff, but what, what happened was we were all given some organic tobacco and we would place it as an offering at the root of a plant that was used medicinally. Um, usually a plant that we were unfamiliar with because, again, this was like early in our studies. But we would, we would offer the tobacco. We would ask the plant for, for permission to harvest a leaf. Um, we would wait for that answer. And if, if the answer was yes, we would take a little bit. And um, there was a, a drumming uh, going on like a ceremonial drumming and we would, you know, the, the whole process, of course it's more complex, but just to take you through a little bit, we'd ask for our spirit, like guidance um, of an animal to come through. And uh, once we had that animal to guide us, we would travel down into the earthly realms. And this is all with the mind's eye. So it takes a bit of meditation to get into that, where it can visually open up, but the, the animal is there as a guide, an earth guide, basically, because um, we have this sort of heaven and earth uh, synergy as humans, but animals are very much earth spirits. So mine was a dog, like a brown dog. And, um, and you go in and you, you find the roots of this plant and you ask the animal if it's you know safe to go in there and, and you ask the plant what it has to reveal to you medicinally. Um, and that's, of course, all in a nutshell. But 
most of the time what would happen is we'd all come out of this drumming trance and um, we would have gathered very similar medicinal uses from this plant. And that would usually coincide with the medicinal uses found in our textbooks. So it's really interesting process. And I've done it a couple times. Um, the first time I did it, I got absolutely no visuals. And I thought everyone else is crazy for having all these kind of like amazing visuals come in. I was like, I just saw black. Um, but then the more that I meditated, the more I realized you actually do begin to see things as your third eye opens up. Um, as you begin to like sort of exercise that part of yourself. So I think we all have the ability to communicate with these um, like elementals, plants, um, different parts of the natural world. And I think it's really important to offer a balanced um, exchange. So again, tobacco was, I was taught that tobacco is sort of like a preferred treat for the plants. <laughs> that the plants really like the, the yeah like they, they really appreciate the tobacco offering which I thought was very cool and, and that's what Native Americans would do and I have a little bit of Native American in my blood so I really felt connected to that um, and the other idea with tobacco is that it can be very grounding for the spirit so um, once again like after doing a journey whether it's um, with a psychedelic medicine or without tobacco can be really helpful in bringing the spirit back into the body um, and connecting the body back with the earth. Uh, and, and of course, that's helpful for clarity of thought. And what we know about tobacco on a scientific level is that it, it does enhance the, the connections in the brain that we have chemically. Um, and you do have a lower chance of developing dementia later in life if you're a tobacco user. Um, so I, I didn't think know that. Things, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. I think those things are really valuable. And um, another kind of aspect of tobacco is that it's antiparasitic. And it like it's considered drying um, in Chinese medicine, so it's it will dry dampness. Um, the caution would be that if you have a deficiency of yin, which is the helpful kind of version of dampness and liquid and all that nice stuff, then maybe it wouldn't be wise to use tobacco because it would further dry you out. But the idea I think that so many people can relate to is this this grounding idea because if somebody has um like a tobacco habit, many, many people are trying to like kick that habit. I think that's wise if you're using um, tobacco that's folded in with all these chemicals and tars, right? Um, but, but one thing, as long as you're not yin deficient, maybe consider trying tobacco in the form that you do, Nathan. And the other thing would be like, you know, my, my spirit obviously needs to ground. There's not just this random reason that I'm drawn to this substance. You know, and that, that's how I feel with uh, with most things, sugar, alcohol, tobacco. There's a reason that your spirit is um, sort of gaining something from that experience. Uh, and it doesn't always have to be bad. It doesn't have to be something that you have to stop. Um, depending on who you are and your relationship to it, doesn't always have to be something that you have to stop, um, in my opinion. But it's something to regulate. So it's always moderation, um, careful avoidance of overindulgence is something we often say. <laughs> My technique, what Valor's referring to, you can hear it crinkling here, is a vaporizer. It basically takes all of the it takes all the moisture out of the tobacco 
takes all the moisture out of some additional additional medicinal herbs that are on top and then some flourescence or even maybe a drop of essential oil or something, it vaporizes it into a water, a water vapor that you then inhale. So if you were thinking about that bong rip that you did in college that made you cough up a storm and you you, you, you blew it with the, you know, the pretty girl there because you were so embarrassed. This is not smoke. It doesn't actually heat you up at all. It's a vapor. It's like standing near a large waterfall and you have all that mist coming in. And it's like, wow, how refreshing. That's actually how it feels. And it's so, I'm so glad you, I, I wish I would have, it almost seems like I prompted you to say this because I'm like, yeah, look, mom. But um, I was just talking to my mom about this and she was like, are you addicted to that? And I was like, I don't think so. I mean, I just feel called to use it. I don't know. You know, it it feels very grounding. And I wonder what part of my more subtle bodies are being actually um, nourished by this, this, the, the, not just the nicotine, but all of the other polyphenols, all the other, you know, we don't need to label them, the other, the other essences of the tobacco. What parts of my more subtle the more subtle parts of Nathan Riley, you know, the, the astral, the etheric, the mental, the causal, whatever, what parts of my spirit are being nourished by this plant? And I feel every time I use it, I feel so grateful. And I even actually thank spirit for the tobacco. And I, I thank it for coming into my body and lifting. I always say lifting my spirit and guiding my soul. I don't know why, but it's just the words that come to me. And um, the word I, that always ubiquitously comes out of my mouth is it just feels like I'm grounded when I'm using it. And if I can say, if, if anybody knows anything about me, I am off flying around the sky like a kite, connecting people, <laughs> finding new projects, trying to accomplish the impossible at all times. And my wife, fortunately, is a very grounded, very uh, a wise woman. And I kind of think about me as a kite and she's just holding onto the string. Like without her, I would just fly off into outer space. <laughs> That's so beautiful too, because it's like, it's the yin and the yang too. You know, she's, and women are considered to be yin and very grounded and men are more like yang um, up here, you know? And so that's, I think such a beautiful synergy and, and also like very intuitive observation, just introspectively, and that's the real value, I think, in determining if something is a vice or if something's becoming like addictive is if you're able to really connect with those deeper parts of yourself and ask yourself, like, am I getting the medicine from this? Um, and then, of course, asking the substance, like, are, are you a medicine for, for me right now? Um, and usually people will get the answer. And even if they maybe they'll get an answer that they don't want to listen to at times. And that's where it can be a struggle. But that's how I feel. Like for me, it's coffee. I've had so many um, different, you know, thought leaders and doctors and holistic practitioners offer so many different perspectives on caffeine. Um, some of some people will say, oh, just avoid it altogether, Val, you know. Um, and, and for a while I was when I was doing Reiki, um, along with like garlic and onions, because they're considered substances that keep you in the beta thought wave. Oh, that's have, interesting. You know, it, God, it'll you know make so it much difficult. about so many things. It's amazing. Go oh, <laughs> gosh, right back at you. But, but many monks will avoid like scallions and onions and garlic because it will make it more difficult to go into those like theta sort of like deeper brain waves. And caffeine is similar, but but for me, it's it's a medicine. Like for me, I feel the same, probably similar to what you feel with tobacco. I'm so grateful 
every morning and throughout the day, like if I have a little bit of coffee, it feels like this really balancing agent for me because um, I tend to be pretty grounded and I, I feel like coffee balances me in a certain way. Um, and I think similar with you, Nathan, like you need the grounding from the tobacco. I need the um, sort of like young energy from the coffee. And um, of course, there's this idea of like robbing Peter to pay Paul. You have to be cautious about your like adrenal fatigue and, you know, like actually creating those things authentically, too. But um, I mean, we're here. We're in our physical bodies. Like to me, engaging with these substances isn't inherently wrong. It's the way that you use them in relationship to your like higher self. So as long as you're able to keep checking in. Um, without just sort of like ignoring um, your your intuition, then I think any substance could be potentially useful. Yeah. Well, Valerie, we're going to have to do a third one. (laughs) (laughs) You've just got so much. Like, I feel like you're my, you're like my partner in crime here in, in trying to figure out the world's problems. And what I love so much about you is you come to it with a place of you're highly intelligent. You're highly you're you're highly skilled in what you do, and you come at it with a certain humility. Uh, th- that humility is 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 really the characteristic of the people that I like working with. Because I've gotten in trouble so many times for saying I don't know. Like I said in residency training, if you say I don't know, it means you didn't study hard enough. So you just make up an answer and hope it's right. And you may get the wrong answer, and everybody else in the room didn't know either. But you're the one that gets punished. So when you're not allowed to say I don't know, let me go and figure it out then that like completely stymies our growth as healers and in whatever profession and, in, in, you know, in, no matter what your walk of life. So I really appreciate that about you. I think that we're going to grow and do some magical things and collaborations together. I, I hope in the near future. Um, I appreciate you taking so much time and also dealing with some of our technical difficulties. So thank you. Do you have any, anything you want to share? How can people connect with you and find you if they wanted to learn a little bit more? Mm, well, thank you so much, Nathan, for that generous, um, just observation and and all the compliments. I really appreciate it. And I feel the same about you. We're so blessed to have found each other. Yeah. Um, Such a strange, strange happening too. (laughs) The world is so cool. Uh, So to find me, my, um, I think it would be smart to put the links in the show notes uh, once things are all official um, because I'm still constructing some more websites, but it will be, most likely silver maple society, um, com. It could be org. So when you put the things in the show notes, that will be the updated. Right on. Um, yeah. this won't be going live so, for a few weeks, if not even oh, like cool. into the new year. So you'll have plenty of time. Oh, yay. Okay. I actually am buying it tonight with Wix. <laughs> oh, right on. Good um, for you. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's, um, that's sort of the name I settled on for my, my PMA that I'm working out of. So, so most things will be in the vein of the vein of silver maple. My name is Valerie Jacobson. So you can find me on Instagram at Valerie.Jacobson. Um, I also have a website, Valerie Jacobson, but I'm thinking for most of my, um, you know, sacred work, I will be using silver maple PMA. Right on. Um, so yeah, so we can put, you know, it'll, it'll all be updated yeah. by the time it comes out. I'll send it to you very quickly, but uh, I'm really, really excited for the new year. I love twos, and I've always looked forward to 2022. For oh that my reason. gosh, yeah. Um, so I it'll just be one, one, two, two. 
Yeah, like my little passwords when I was a kid always had like my dog's name and like a bunch of twos, you know. So I've always felt very connected to twos. And um, I think it's going to really be a beautiful year of like really engaging with our like sacred path and putting the rubber to the road and like expressing our true creativity Um, and hoping like to illuminate other people's creative light as well. Yeah. So I, I feel the exact same way. You know, everybody's like kind of doom and gloom every single time. It's like, Ugh, another dumb year, whatever. Ugh, 2020, 2021 wasn't any better. And <laughs> it's like, guys, you have the opportunity to create right now. You have an opportunity to create literally anything you want, and it's going to be accepted by a certain niche of people. You don't yes. have to, you don't have to sell it to, you know, some big TV company. You can start a podcast. You can write a book. You can start a course. You and I are going to come up with courses. You yes. could buy that dream domain like you can you could do whatever you want right now it's like it's, it's awesome true. it's an awesome it's opportunity so cool. <laughs> i know these past few years honestly have been like some of the best of my life because i've really decided to step into my own sovereignty yeah as the world sort of like decides to attempt to like do a power grab it's really brought me into another level of like self-mastery that i'm really grateful for and it puts things into perspective and yeah like why not now? Why not this year? Um, if you're going to step into your authentic self and you're going to like put yourself out there as the person that you know you're here to be and, you know, set those sacred boundaries and align with that um, higher version, then like this, there is no better time. The world needs um, thought leaders. The world needs more people aligned with their their own light, you know, taking care of themselves. So we always have that opportunity it's convenient to pretend that we don't because of what's going on outside of ourselves. Um, but that only lasts so long. <laughs> and, um, and so after a while, like the medicine really is to be courageous and, um, and just bring yourself into the spotlight of your own life. Um, so I'm so excited about what's to come for us and all of the like, yeah, creative ventures. Well, I'm very blessed to have you in my friendship circle, in my professional circle, and you've been so helpful to me, to my, to some of the clients that I've had that you've been helped me, you know, you've helped me sort of wrap my head around and I look forward to having you back on the show. Thank you so much, Valerie. Thank you, Nathan. I am so privileged to know people like Valerie. I send people to her all the time. I consult with her. She's on my like advisory team. Sort of like, Valerie, I don't know what to do with this. What would you say through the lens of Chinese medicine? And even just her model alone of the yin and yang throughout the day, throughout the seasons, that is like gold. Like I hope that you guys re-listen to this episode a hundred times and really understand what we're talking about with rebalance. This is a concept within anthroposophic medicine and all of the ancient healing modalities like Ayurveda and Chinese medicine that that you are not deficient in pharmaceuticals. You're not deficient in surgery. Your body is struggling to harmonize with its surroundings. So what can we do? We add more moisture. We add more heat. We add more whatever. And we help to rebalance the system. We give the, the body the tools in order to return to a state of homeostasis and get out of a state of disease. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation. My name again is Nathan Riley. I'm a physician. I have a practice, Beloved Holistics. At BelovedHolistics.com, you can work with me. If you're a health coach, doula, birth educator, what have you, ND, 
chiropractor, MD, whatever it is, you can hire me as a consultant. I, uh, I have a monthly membership program called my collaborator program. All of those things can be found right on my website, belovedholistics.com. You can also sign up for my newsletter there. I release a newsletter every week with fun products, books, podcasts I've found, and, and I deliver it all in a nice little video for you. And um, you'll never be spammed, nothing like that. If you want to support the podcast, holisticobjoanepod.com is where you'll find the show notes. You can also make a donation and get a wide range of free gifts as a uh, as a thank you for your generous contributions. So that's again at holisticobjoanepod.com. I will see you next time um, with another good friend of mine, Edith Ubuntu Chan, as she shares some extraordinary stories of healing, both for herself, her family, and her clients. She's also a Chinese medicine doctor, surprisingly. So. That does it for today, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning into the Holistic OBGYN podcast. If you haven't left us a review, go to iTunes, leave a five-star review. It helps people find us. It helps us rise in the rankings. We think we're putting out good work here. I certainly do because I put together all the content. And if you're enjoying it, please leave us a review. And uh, I'll see you next time on our lovely educational program.